you don't have a passport to Wakanda, get one now. <laughs> this is Mark Steiner. Welcome to our latest podcast. And of course, we're going to talk about the Black Panther movie with a really interesting crew of people. Dr. Kimberly Moffat is back in the house. Of course, she's the Associate Professor of American Studies at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, co-editor of Blackberries and Redbones, Critical Articulations of Black Hair Body Politics in Africana Communities, and the Obama 2.0 Effect, Multidisciplinary Renderings of the 2008 Campaign. Kalima Young is a lecturer in Electronic and Media Studies at Towson University and the University of Maryland College Park, where she's about to receive her PhD in American Studies, and Dr. Nathan Connolly, who is the Herbert Baxter Adams Associate Professor of History, who wrote the book, A World More Concrete, Real Estate and the Remaking of the Jim Crow South. He also wrote the article in The Hollywood Reporter, How Black Panther Taps into 500 Years of History. Welcome, folks. Good to have you all with us. Thank you. Thank you. So um, it's good to have you all in the studio. And uh, I was making a joke about Wakanda, but it has. This, this is this is an interesting interesting film in many ways. I mean, first of all, it's just the pure commercialness of it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Most pre-sale tickets of any superhero movie ever. <laughs> Highest rated super movie on Rotten Tomatoes. Best Marvel IMAX ticket pre-seller. Best February Thursday night preview box office. Biggest solo superhero of all time. Biggest grossing movie in North America directed by a black filmmaker. Biggest Monday box office of all time. Right. So it, it just blew everybody away. And so I, and, and, and the first stats I saw were that 37% of the audience who saw it in the first bunch of days was black. 37%. 35% was white. Mm-hmm. 14% Latino. Mm-hmm. And 45% women. Ooh, mm-hmm. I have not seen those numbers. Right? Because. So what is that? Yeah, so just in that pure sense, before we get into the heart of the, what this movie might mean to all of us, what does that mean? What does that say? I can see my sister Kalima with her jaundice look in the air right now. <laughs> uh, it says it's about time. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh. You know, it says it's about time. It says that there's been a lot of soil that has been tilled and a whole lot of seeds that have been planted for a really long time to get to this point, and I think we're seeing the fruits of that, the threshold. Um, And I pray that it is just the beginning of the growing sort of forest. Mm. But when I hear those kinds of stats, I hear all of the history that goes behind those stats and all of the other superhero stories that were told and all of the other work that has been building up to this film going into its mainstream space. You want to leap in on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think it was Roger Nathan Ebert, Conley. Roger Ebert, who said a couple of years before he died, um, several years perhaps before he died, about the problem of a lot of these blockbuster movies is that they tend to target young men who are basically in their late teens and early 20s, right? All of the themes, the, mm-hmm. the way that they go about, you know, narrating and structuring the plots. Um, and just based on what you've said, this is an entirely different demographic um, that's now being reached. And you know, one of the things that we have to be aware of is it's not comic books that are driving people to the, the cinema, right? It's not uh, an affinity for the Marvel franchise that's driving people to the cinema. For this movie we're talking about. For, for this oh, movie, right? That's, 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 right. It's not Disney, it's right? Not that, Disney. That's breaking these records, right? <laughs> so um, it is, like I think, as, as Kalima rightly pointed out, it's it's a sense of hunger for this for a very, very long time. Um, and it's, it's it obviously is not a stretch to talk about record voter turnouts for the unprecedented candidacy of somebody like Barack Obama, record movie sales 
for something like this that is seemingly historical as well. Um, and, you know, we keep being reminded about the, the power of people to mobilize if, if they kind of come out. And this may well be a, a tipping moment in, in the culture industry of Hollywood that won't be able to be put back in the jar, so to speak. But we'll see. Yeah, I think the only thing I'll add is um, Kalima's point about, you know, the hunger for something like this is very much tied to it being built upon a history mm -hmm. of a number of other films that um, we've looked for or desired to give us something that may not have quite met mm -hmm. um, the mark, so to speak. And so we keep hearing, you know, what about Blade and, mm -hmm. you know, these uh, other films that I think certainly have tremendous merit and um, add to this conversation. But this feels very different. And I would say largely because of the central role that black bodies are playing in this film. Yes. And it is not as an add-on or a buddy film or, <laughs> um, you know, that we need the presence of white bodies in order to exist and, and thrive and live and enjoy life, but we can center our experience and be just as comfortable there. Yes. Now, racism, racism runs so deep in this planet, I and mean, we've covered this so much in our, in our programs over the years. I'm interested to see how this plays in Europe, how it plays in Asia. Mm -hmm. But that's another conversation. We'll see what happens after that. Right? Yeah, it's definitely. I have a friend who is a he's an American studies uh, professor in the University of the Sorbonne. Um, and he focuses specifically, he's a white boy, French white boy who focuses on black superheroes. And mm. we're collaborating <laughs> on a paper about like my interpretation of Black Panthers and his interpretation oh, of it. Because can I get it you both plays. in the show at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> if you can bring Jan in, I will. I think he'd love it. But like, we're literally having our conversation about what this paper is going to look like because we're taking, because he has so many different feelings mm -hmm. about the characters and what came up for him versus how I've actually felt as like a black woman seeing black women on 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 screen. Which is one of the most amazing pieces so, of this film, which yeah. I want to get to in a minute. Mm -hmm. But I, first, when I ask you all, I'm just really curious. Um, what your intellectual and visceral takeaway was when you walked out of the film. I mean, so those two don't go together. They oh, don't. Oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> I think, well, okay, that's, that's what I'm saying. I mean, in this setting, and uh, you know, the, the, I, have, I asked that for that reason <laughs> because of the critiques that are going on right now. Right. That really are really interesting, and watching what people are saying on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And I'll come to that in a minute, but I'm just curious what what you walked away. How you when you walked out of the film, when you sat down and thought about it, maybe later talked about it, family, friends. Well, what I would say you, even want? during the film. Um, so for myself, um, I need to go back a second time. Me too. I want to do what we got here today. But I <laughs> and take it in again so that maybe my critical lens of a media studies scholar will be in place at that point. Mm. But I have to say uh, this is one of the few films, and maybe it was because I went with my family. So I took my 11- and 13-year-old, and there were moments through that film that I found myself with of tears welling up in mm. my eyes, um, mm. that I was, my breath was taken away. And I don't mean that in this, you know, this kind of hokey, yeah, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. oh, this felt so good. It was very emotional in that respect because I was glad that my children were next to me exp having this experience. And then just the vibrancy of um, the aesthetics in the film in terms of the, the landscape that um, Wakanda and what it looks like, you know, the attire. Um, I love
loved that the women, if they had hair, it was natural hair. Right. And then even the little digs about when someone had on mm-hmm. uh, hair that was not natural <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, and how they felt about it. It right. felt very real in terms of my own experience, but the fact that I could share that experience with my children, it was nothing intellectual for me. It was very mo- emotional and glad that I was able to share that with them and glad that they were able to experience this imagery on the big screen. And they liked it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. My daughter said, someone asked her yesterday, and she um, and she said, the movie was fabulous. <laughs> She's 14, right? No, that's the 11-year-old. That's the 11-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, I think I had a bit of the opposite experience. I was exhausted <laughs> mm. going into the theater uh, and after a really interesting sort of weekend, and I'm watching it. So I was so tired that all I could do was watch it from an intellectual mm. space. Mm. Mm. So I watched it. Com- with complete critique head, mm-hmm. you know, and I enjoyed the critique. And this is this is one of those things. It, it felt very bell hooks, right? The pleasure of the interrogation, mm. right? Mm. Like the pleasure, like so. I had such an enjoyable experience in the pleasure of the interrogation because that's where my brain was. Mm. Right. I'm looking forward to seeing the film again <laughs> so I can just watch it with that part of my brain off and just be like, Wakanda, that's where I'm at. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna see it. I'm gonna see it the second time. I can see it the, how you saw it the first time. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right, my, that's what my, I need. Yeah, I need to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think both points um, resonate with my own experience. I mean, it, it's actually you took I, your kids too. Well, so I went first. I, I I wrote a piece. I was commissioned to write a piece for the Hollywood Reporter, so I got a chance to see it early um, on Tuesday of of the week it was released, and I brought a plus one. And my plus one was my colleague here at, at Johns Hopkins from the philosophy department, Chris LeBron who wrote a piece for the Boston Review that has since had over oh, 250,000 oh, pieces. That, that colleague. One, that colleague. That, that colleague. colleague. Absolutely. That colleague. So, so, so now so many of us have, have, have engaged that piece or you know pulled out our, our hair or thrown something through the screen and engaged in that piece. That was the voice in the car with, ride with me on the way back from the movie. Okay, That, that was literally who I went literally. with. Literally. Literally. Oh. Right? That, that's my, the first person I was in conversation with was my dude Chris, right? Now, now I want to say, as I'm watching the movie, I'm having these experiences very much similar to what to what Kim is describing, where I feel my chest like starting to swell up at, at the first approach when Wakanda is like revealed and all of its grandeur. Right, the, the scene where they're on the river and the women are dancing and they like all put their spears down at the same time. And it actually has like scientific effect on how the waterfall works. Like all this stuff was just incredible. Um, and then just seeing like even the action sequences and before you realize it you're like we're going 20 minutes without a white person even talking or being on camera and I don't even know what to, what to do right. with that right it's like you just what is that what is, what is that so it, it ends up being immersive uh-huh. in a whole other way that you, you have to just right. is, is this really real right and so all of that was just amazing to me but then I had like the little tinge of like okay I wonder why he made that choice or that choice and then and then yeah. Chris during the conversation at home really did blow it open but even that conversation as, as, as tough as it was to even get through what we meant when we were trying to critique the film was enjoyable because the text itself was so rich, right? Mm-hmm. It was like to have to have that there as a piece upon which we could meditate yes. is such a rare thing that it was like even yes. even the work the is pleasure yes. in the <laughs> yes. interrogation, right? right, right. Exactly, right. it's, it's <laughs> enjoyable and it's been enjoyable ever since that. I mean, all of the stuff mm-hmm. that's come out, the diversity of opinion of black intellectual work, of you know engagement, it, it's such a rare thing to have mm-hmm. an. Object 
subject upon which so many different black, sharp minds can even weigh in on, that that, that, that in and of itself is part, I think, of the unprecedented contribution of the film. You know? mm-hmm. So let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Crystal Brown's piece was amazing. I'm looking forward to that, talking to him about this as well, because I think he, mm-hmm. and, and have maybe all back and having continued the discussion, because there's so much to talk about with this, but um, I, I did not like the ending at all mm. of the movie. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was a very liberal ending. Mm. From the cliff mm. to the gentrification of East Oakland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, and the gentrification of, uh, of Wakanda. Yeah. <laughs> At the end, right? So, mm-hmm. Right, right. So I was really disturbed by the ending. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then I said to myself, this is Disney. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. right? But yep. it's also a Disney film made by very conscious black folks saying many things inside that film. Yes. 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 I'd like to explore just for a minute. And we talked a bit about this before we walked in here. And I've been thinking about this a lot. People of consciousness, people on the left, however people describe themselves, um, had their critique of Barack Obama mm-hmm. yeah. politically. And, but sometimes that separated themselves from the mass of people who looked at Barack Obama saying, you're in the system, he had no choice, mm-hmm. A and B, there's this black family in the White House with this beautiful, powerful, strong black woman as first lady of the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that meant something. And it changed something in people's consciousness and heads and hearts. My youngest daughter's generation, the 20-year-olds and below, mm-hmm. they were deeply affected by the Obama White House mm-hmm. and in an extremely powerful way. Mm-hmm. All the political analysis and critique aside. Mm-hmm. Right. right? The same with this movie. This movie kind of exploded, it seems to me, in the hearts and minds of so many people. I have some people who are activists in the community writing on Facebook about how much this movie meant, just to see it on stage, what it meant to their children, right. what it just means for the change in cinema, what it means for the change in maybe social consciousness. But then there's the critiques, mm-hmm. like Dr. LeBron's critique, which we should, we can talk about right. here in this, mm-hmm. you know, which set black Americans, as he saw, as setting them up in a very negative light in the film. And so, so, so there's a, and especially a black American men. Mm-hmm. And so... So there's all that. So, so how do you how do we begin to have a conversation that accepts all of that as reality and talk about what this film means? Well, that's part of the problem is that because we have such a dearth of such opportunities, right. we don't know what to do with this one. And so um, for me, when I started to see the slew of critiques coming out, um, I'm typically one that says bring it because I do think the diversity of perspective is so important and I think to kind of shake up this whole notion of black folks as monolithic is trouble is problematic so I love right. when I hear the diversity of opinions mm-hmm. but in this instance I felt that um, we were so quick to do it that we didn't even give ourselves enough time to enjoy it right. um, and that was what was troubling to me is that we are so in the mindset of being complicit in the critiques about our actual representation that we don't even get to enjoy our representation. Even if it is complex, even if it is um, problematic in some respects, that there's no moment to embrace and say, this is good, and here's what's problematic after the fact. We immediately go to start critiquing, and I think there's something to be said for why we are always operating in that position, which mm. I see as one of deficit instead of one of mm. hope. Mm. 
I think a lot of that has to do with the ready access and avenues to the cacophony of opinion. <laughs> right. So, social media and like, blogging. From yeah. social medias to blogs like, to that articles. Quick. Like you can, to Twitter, mm -hmm. to everything. It's the discourse becomes so distilled when we have so many avenues for mm. the discourse, mm. right? That we can't even go into the nuance. Mm. I think that's. That's why, you know, I keep on referring to it as the, the chatter, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. cutting out the chatter so that I can sit alone with my own thoughts. Right. I can form my own theories around it. I can speculate on the, the try to interrogate the moments where my heart swelled and interrogate the moments where I wanted to punch people in the face <laughs> a lot. And there were plenty of those. Gotcha. Right. So in the theater. No, no, in the on the film. I am always permanently with a spear, spear in my hand, ready to punch somebody in the face. You know uh -huh. me. But yeah, so I think a lot of what you're saying has to do with the fact that people can put their opinions out there in very public ways, mm -hmm. very quickly. That and the battle is. Can I say it first? Can yes, I say it first? Yes. It feels like academia yes. just writ large. <laughs> can I say it first? Who cares if you can say it first? Can you actually say something? Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You so know? true. So, so true. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, not not a whole lot to to add. I mean, I think the um, the symbolism of the film will exist. It will it will do its own mischief. It will have its own impact in ways that we can't even imagine. Um, I do think it's it's worth acknowledging um, that there are levels and ways in which the filmmakers and the actors are trying to to speak to us in multiple registers. So I, so I recognize that, you know, Marvel Comics films, now 18, 19 deep, they have a formula that they're going to try to follow to, to reach box office success. Right. And, and within that frame, you're going to see black artists try to do things in ways that subvert, you know, usual white standards of beauty and white narrative tropes and all of this. And, and there, I think, were moments that the film did that really brilliantly and, and real missed opportunities. Um, and, you know, the, the, I saw a, a quick kind of deconstruction by Ryan Coogler kind of breaking down the, the casino the scene. The casino scene, yeah. right? Yeah. I showed and, that to my students this yeah. week. It's incredible because, I mean, he's doing things with, like, the color of people's clothing to hearken to the Pan-African flag. He's telling you about the difficulty of doing certain shots. So, so appreciating the symbolism and the artistry of that, I think, has to be part of any mm -hmm. fair treatment of, of the film. Um, but there are, you know, other things that sometimes can be a little too subterranean and people have to work almost three times as hard to try to make something that could seem initially problematic then seem progressive. So there's a piece by Adam Cerner in The mm. Atlantic that's trying to rehabilitate Killmonger after everybody is looking at <laughs> Killmonger's character as having been dealt with in a really unflattering way. And so, so it's, it's almost as if, to go back, again, back to the point, you know, that the, the chatter has almost gotten to echo proportions now to the point where you worry about how much of the symbolism will get in the way of people's deeper understanding or whether or not you should just let the symbolism exist and not have to go through eight think pieces before you can enjoy right. your movie. Um, right. But it is, it is a very, regardless of whatever we decide is up or down about the film, it is a cultural phenomenon that now has to be kind of recognized and grappled with. So. And it gives us an opportunity to have these multiple layers of discourse. And once mm -hmm. again, like you said, anything that gives us an opportunity to realize that black America, the African diaspora, is not a monolith. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That there are mm -hmm. multiple ways to skin the cat of racism and sexism and misogyny and patriarchy and all of it um, on film. And that people are going to have multiple takes on it. I think that only makes it richer. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think the greatest concern out of that is the fact that we 
have such a dearth of representations, positive, that we like seeing in ourselves, that we would then place all of that burden on one film. On one film. No, it's oh, true. Oh, yeah. yeah it's true. I mean, it's we ridiculous. We do it all the time. We did yeah. it to the Obamas. <laughs> <laughs> they carry the hope. Of, I'm like, no, they are politicians. Yeah. And, right. and that's troublesome to me, um, because what we should be doing instead is demanding that there are more and more mm-hmm. opportunities for those representations, instead of believing this is that one moment he has to do it all or she has to do it all when I think that is not only you know problematic but it also is short-sighted mm-hmm. because it's not talking about vision it's not talking about what we expect and believe we are entitled to in terms of our representation it means that we're willing to accept what gets thrown at us or to us so a couple of levels here I mean so when the piece in the Boston Review which I thought was a pretty powerful piece mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to let you break down powerful because I got another perspective. I want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 and I think that, you know, especially around Shala, the the, yeah. the, the the Black Panther, the king, uh, and Killmonger, right. and what that was representing mm. for him uh, in his critique. Um, and I, I, as I said earlier, I wanted to see that continued, not end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as someone said to me last night, was when I said that, when I had a conversation the other night, someone said, well, you don't know it's over. No, you don't. Maybe he's not dead. Mm. No, you don't. You don't, because this That's is true. fantasy land, and true. it's... He has the power Disney. of the Black Panther. <laughs> he took the last of the hard herb. We didn't see his burial, and he said, just put me in the ocean. Come on, man. Sequel. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with Kalima. <laughs> That's how I read it. I mean, come on. It's a Disney product. And, of course, they're going to try and garner some some kind of following so that we come back for more. And what would be worthy of coming back for more is to find out that something is revealed with Killmonger. Mm-hmm. He coming back. Yeah, yeah, no, okay. So, so, well, well first of all, I, 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 I'll say, um, I'll say this. I think I, I actually have a, a dear colleague of mine who studies African anthropology, Robert Blunt. He's a, a teacher at um, Lafayette College, and I, we had a, the opportunity to take a trip together to Kenya just before I started grad school, and um, you know, he schooled me on something that I thought was really important about the film, and in fact, that the film does very much, in, again, in that wink and nod kind of way, gesture to which is that in African cultures, death is not the end. Mm-hmm. Death is not the end. And, there, and there's actually, you know, already, again, multiple moments where mm-hmm. you see where T'Challa see communing that. with the yeah. dead, right? right. So, so even if, 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 you know, N'Jaka, which is, which is, you know, Killmonger's African name, right? Yeah. If, if he is there with, with the other kings of Wakanda, that's a powerful possibility for him. Right. My, my only regret about the film, and I don't know anything about filmmaking, I want to be very clear about that, but I, <laughs> but I left the movie wishing for just a five-second scene a five-second scene where mm. Eric's character goes to the afterlife and is met by T'Chaka, flanked by his father, Njobu. Mm-hmm. The two brothers are there, and T'Chaka just turns to the son and says, I am sorry. Mm. Welcome home. Mm. You were looking for closure. You closure. You <laughs> see what I'm saying? And, 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 and just, just to have that, because it's, it's wonderful to have T'Challa call out, this is like spoilers all day now, I realize, but, but it's one thing to have, to have T'Challa call out his father about it being wrong, but it would be amazing to see the ancestors then speak back and say, you know what, I, I am sorry. Because it's a conversation. It's a conversation. It's but a that conversation. might be in the sequel. It see? could be, it could be. But, but, I, but I know a deep sense of the dissatisfaction that so many people had 
about what felt like a flat performance on the part of a very gifted actor, what felt like a little bit of the kind of stereotyping of what black nationalism was. All of that stuff, I think, you know, again, whether we think it's fair, it could have been resolved through something as simple as demonstrating the relationship on, on screen for people. But That's so interesting because it was my wish that we saw him placed into the sea. Into the sea, oh, interesting. Where he asked to go. <laughs> <laughs> He's like for his for his black folks, right? Right for the diaspora, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Who understood that they could not live in bondage? I'm like, yes, bro. Well, I wanted to see that. (laughs) I mean, Kugler loves Michael Jordan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They boys, they they love working together. (laughs) So I mean, there's no saying what could come next. (laughs) So in the short time we have this first podcast, I'm gonna invite y'all back. Why is it so gendered that y'all don't believe in the sequel and Kalima and I do? What? We got the, the wisdom of the ovaries. We know about the circle of life. The circle of life. The sequel coming again. The sequel will come again. The circle. 363, 60 degree of life. <laughs> which is a great lead-in to probably what everybody has to agree and they disagree with a lot of other stuff, mm. which was the powerful center of the movie, which was women. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I unfortunately had to read a couple of chattery ridiculous <laughs> man pieces about that messed it up for you about no about men talking about how black women took away the the the, the thunder of the black men in oh, the film God. and i was just like could you just go under the rock where you belong <laughs> yeah, could no, you I, please you I, know no, um i avoided that thankfully oh, oh the beauty the beauty of mm. watching mm. these strong women who came from many different pers- perspectives mm-hmm. the idea of watching Denai Guerrero be a traditionalist the idea of mm. watching Lapita Yongo be an agent mm. right so mm. she has a lot more fluidity the way that they fought the way that they dressed, mm. the things they were willing to compromise around was such a beautiful treatise about black women mm. and their ability to be strong and to move things forward from multiple perspectives. <laughs> and I thought and and I thought it was just magical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it spoke to the very strong role of black women in black community. Mm. Yeah, I mean I, I, I would I would say that um, for me their performances were just out of this world. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, their, their skill as actors was really second to none that I've seen in, in any film. I mean, in terms of humor, in terms mm-hmm. of timing, in terms of, yep. you know, dramatic impact. Um, you know, the, the, the scene where Koye, you know, basically just looks once, you know, T'Challa is touched by the CIA agent. It's like, if he touches you again, <laughs> I'm going to impale him on his desk. <laughs> like, like, I'm going to do and, 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 and does it, like, with the African tongue and just, like, it, I mean, it was just masterful. It was masterful. And it, it, made me, it made me really sad because I think I thought it back to, like, when they rebooted the Star Wars thing. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, Lupita's going to be in the new reboot of Star Wars. And I was like, okay, it's going to be great. And then they put, and like, then this digital. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They put, like, this digital map over her face. She has no character. She has almost no line. And I was like, you see, this is what happens. I mean, these are like Ivy League trained actors. I mean, they're all top shelf talents. And to finally see them, again, allowed to play off each other, mm-hmm. to really work that ensemble. I mean, it was it was amazing. And then just watching the Dora Milaje, like, it was better than anything in 300 in terms of, like, synchronized yeah. warfare, like, all that. Yeah. Like, it was just amazing to watch, you know. Right. Um, so I loved it. I loved it. Seeing that warmth between the both of them having worked together on Denai Guerrero's play. Mm. Younger was her, like the star of her mm. play. And, and that, that ran powerful. for like, what, two years? That was powerful. That was powerful. You could see that energy, that yes. sort of sisterhood between oh, the two ha- actors. Oh, they definitely had that. They definitely yeah. Had that. And actually, I think it's the people maybe you don't realize that 
they were speaking, and I don't have the click in my voice, but Zuxa, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they were not speaking some gibberish that they used to do in Tarzan That's movies. Right. No. That's right. Right. They, were, they were speaking a language. Yes. Right. Right. Which I think is really important. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? For sure. Madam? I, I can't agree more. Um, the image, I, I mean, again, and I know that my second, when we go again, Mark, <laughs> we'll be prepared to be the intellectuals um, and able to critique the film. <laughs> yeah. um, but this time, I mean, I sat with my daughter and she was sitting right next to me and she just thought it was the coolest thing as a child who now is a brown belt in karate mm. to see these girls mm-hmm. throwing it down. Throwing down. <laughs> I mean, and they were in charge. Yeah, like, yeah, this was yeah. not about, you know, um, competing against men or seeing themselves as beneath men, they were completely in charge. And so for me, it's just a very emotional response of seeing them perform the way that they did mm-hmm. and do it well. I had the same exact feeling when I first saw the Amazons in Wonder Woman. Mm. When you just see them all out there just doing what they do. Like, it ain't about no men. It ain't about no men. It's about them doing what they do. Ooh. Their skills as women who are strong and how they operate in the world, strong in body and, and, and bringing it. Yeah. Every time I see that, just yeah. like when Wonder Woman pops up with a shit. Yeah, and I so, you know, that. I mean, <laughs> I guess we'll see also if the, if the Jabari shout Mm-hmm. It comes from the mountain gorillas who yeah. they live around. It becomes the shout people use now when they don't want to hear no shit no more. <laughs> you don't know how many times I wanted to do that in class this week. Somebody opened their mouth, but Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> 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 so we do believe in sequels. <laughs> and I'm going to work on the scheduling and in the next week bring our three guests back to oh, the next sure. podcast sure. for segment two as we look at this very powerful important movie The Black Panther and other movies coming around it from Get Out to Black Panther and Wrinkle in Time A coming next time. all that coming up and what they say to America so this great crew uh, will be back on our next podcast as we talk about films and especially the Black Panther and what it meant. We've been here with Dr. Nathan Conley from Johns Hopkins, Dr. Kimberly Muffet from UMBC, and almost Dr. Kalima Young from Towson University. It's good to have you all here. Thank you. Thank you. And as I said, this is just the first part. We will have a sequel to our Black Panther conversation coming up within the week with our guests and maybe more. So don't miss any of them. Thanks for listening to our podcast. This program was produced and edited by Calvin Perry with assistance from our intern, Nora Belbidia. You can download the podcast and more at steinershow.org and on iTunes or on your favorite podcasting app. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for The Mark Steiner Show. And please let us know what you think. Write me at mark at steinershow.org. We'll be back in a couple more days with a brand new podcast.